Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Gary E. Forsman, an integrative physician, functional medicine doctor, primal doctor as well, who's been on the podcast many times. This is our part three of breast health. So if you want to go back and listen to the first two parts where we discuss prevention and then we discuss mammograms and some of the imaging techniques. And on this one today, we're going to talk about some diagnosis and what happens beyond there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. So, you know, in the first two parts, we spent a lot of time talking prevention and then, you know, about mammograms and all of that. I kind of want to get into today, start from, okay, let's say a lump is found, all right? And I go to you and you feel it and it's something that's concerning. So what what's the train of what happens from there, the first part? Again, the key for every woman out there is to is the self referral state where we take charge of our own health and don't necessarily get railroaded by our doctors. We're supposed to respect them, but not necessarily just blindly follow their lead. And so, uh, the best way for a woman to know if she has a breast lump is to diagnose it herself. And very briefly, I'll, we talked about that. I don't think screening mammograms are of use until age 60 and beyond. And I don't think, uh, yearly physician breast exams have never been proven to do anything. So a woman is really, especially earlier in her life, premenopausally is going to be responsible for finding things. We don't want a woman living in fear and doing daily breast exams, but that monthly self breast check, you know, five minutes a month, one hour, you know, one hour per year, self-awareness, not fear. Um, if you, you have to know your own breasts to know your own lumps. And so otherwise, and become comfortable with them. Cause what I hear all the time from women is how am I supposed to know? And the answer is because you've been there before. How am I supposed to know if something's different? Excuse me. And so, so just if you ever find something, you go, gosh, I don't remember feeling that. Bring it in to your primary care doctor. Now, your primary care doctor should be an internist or a family practitioner or a naturopath. It does not need to be an OBGYN. It can be, of course, but I'm just saying it doesn't have to be because there's no proof whatsoever that they're better at dealing with breast health than just your standard doctor. You have to obviously have a you know, know someone, but, um, but for the most part, you just bring yourself in and say, listen, this doesn't feel right to me. And if both of you, and this is the way it works with me anyways, is so if I feel something and it does feel completely benign, we usually say, Hey, you keep an eye on it, come back and say three months and we'll just check this out again. So the first step is I don't, if we really am almost convinced it's nothing. And the woman agrees, of course, remember all this depends on, on the woman's choice. If she, if I say, I don't think you need a further test, but she does, we do more tests. That's okay. right. And I like that. Cause you know, it's, it's encouraging the patient to be open and, and I don't want, I don't mean this sound negative, but stand up to your doctor. It's okay. You know, they're your partner. Absolutely. There's no reason to ever make it conflictatory, which I don't think is really a word, but, um, (laughs) but anyways, but, but yes, it is. And so, so yes, if, if you find, you guess, you know, your comfort level is that you just want more tests or less tests. It's your right to say so. 
And so now on that order, so that's the first step. Do we both agree that it's something? And, and the answer is, yeah, we both feel this doesn't feel quite right. And that happens fairly frequently um, because you know most of the times the doctor hasn't examined your breast or it's been a long time. So it's no way they can remember what was there. Um, and so subsequently speaking, at that point, I tend to just order a diagnostic ultrasound and a diagnostic mammogram. Now, remember, we made a big distinction with a screening mammogram is just getting a test every year just because you have breasts. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing a test because you have a problem. And the, the ultrasound with called diagnostic mammogram, where they're taking specific views of the area that you're looking at, is going to tell us how um, suspicious this lesion is. Okay, Is it a solid lesion? Is it a cystic lesion? Um, does it have calcifications? I mean, all the things that your doctors are supposed to know about, including working with the local radiologist and having a good relationship with them. Um, so that's really going to be the next step. Okay. Uh, and then let's say, um, and then usually there's an index of suspicion, you know, they, they classify the mammograms, you know, class one is just completely benign. And then there's two, three, and of course, all the way to five, which means we really think this is cancer. So if we think this is suspicious, then usually we'll do an ultrasound guided biopsy. Okay. Um, now as the, this is assuming this is not some large mass where you can just look at it and just know. Okay. So I'm just talking about a lump that most women will find in the shower or during a breast exam. Um, and so, uh, and then that takes us down the pathway. Do I recommend diagnostic studies? And the answer is, of course I do. As a doctor, we can't make really good decisions about how to treat things until we know what this is, you know? And so, um, so on that order, the next step, you know, ultrasound guided biopsy, if suspicious, or just a serial ultrasound, meaning do another ultrasound in six months, Oftentimes, the radiologist will recommend mammograms every six months, and I high, find that highly dubious. If I think there's a lump there, I will follow it with an ultrasound unless there's something really suspicious on mammogram. Because like we talked about, why would we continually radiate a breast, which is the most radiation-sensitive tissue in the body, unless we really needed to, of course, okay? Because that's why, even why we're doing the first diagnostic mammogram. And so, so then we have this little pathway that we follow based upon, you know, and this is all, again, as you know, kind of a decision tree. And until you take the next step, you don't know what the next decision is. But then, of course, because this talk is really going to be about breast cancer, we're going to say, okay, we do a biopsy and oops, it's cancer. Okay. Um, and so, and of course, if the biopsy is negative, then there's other follow-ups, but let's not worry about that for right now. Well, actually, let's do that for right now. As you know, many times the mammogram is just wrong. Something uh, on the order of 90 plus percent of mammograms that are suspicious. It's the mammograms that's the problem, not your breast. Okay. So, but many women will think, wow, I have a suspicious mammogram. I have some problem in my breast. The problem's not with your breast. The problem is with the mammogram. So instead of getting it every year, now they get it every six months, which is nonsensical. Um, you know, meaning the test screwed up. Let's do it more often. It's basically the, the suggestion from the radiologist or your doctor. Which well, wouldn't the next sorry, wouldn't the next step be because I had a mammogram once and they were like, I don't know, it's too dense. We have to then do an ultrasound. So I mean, it sounds like um, why would they make you do another mammogram when the, if they if they thought the mammogram was off, then the next step to then check out the ultrasound? Well, or MRI as you. Know, and that's the other the other test that you can do. And so now, again, the reason you don't tend to do mammograms premenopausally screening is just because of the dense breast issue that we talked about. Breasts are supposed to be dense, and that's the whole point of our listeners out there. Um, and so, so, so calling you saying you have dense breasts just means that because there's breast tissue there, the mammogram doesn't work very well. Think how funny that is. Um, 
because you well, have- no, it's kind of good to know because I was scared shitless <laughs> after that happened. Now, granted, um, and I've talked about it on the show, I had fibrocystic breasts. I don't anymore, but that's probably why they were very dense and, and whatever, but it's a scary thing, right? So now if I were to know that I would have go, okay, you know, the stupid machine is a little bit off and they just need better diagnostics maybe for this instead of go, oh my God, I'm going in for the ultrasound and I hope they don't find cancer. I mean, you know, it's a different vibe. But Ellen, everybody out there, that's that's the whole point of this, which is for a while you were put into fear and not because your breasts were the problem, you were put into fear because the uh, the mammogram sucked, okay? And think about this too, because the mam- your breast was dense, which means it's a breast. The, the breast x-ray didn't work very well, <laughs> you know, which is very fascinating because really what we count on, like we talked about in the screening, is the breast turning to fat with age and now the mammogram is more useful because you don't have as much breast tissue, therefore not dense. Um, so, And be clear, most doctors are taught that dense breasts are a risk factor for breast cancer because there's some truth to it, by the way. Um, but it really just means you have have breasts. Okay. So now we've hooked you in because I've seen so many women, they get this. And then now because the biopsy was negative, they get into the state of fear. And before you know it, they'll go to the USC breast health center and all these other things. And before you know it, they just have, have had mammograms, ultrasounds, six biopsies, mutilated breasts feel horrible. And then finally, because we've radiated you so much, we create a cancer and you say, wow, what great doctors, you finally found my cancer. And it's a part of the pathology of Western medicine that we're so bad at what we do that we can create the disease that we're looking to find. And then you think we're doing a good job. That's, you know what, that makes me want to jump off of a bridge right now. It's really crazy. But it's a highly successful business scheme, if you think about it, to look at it that way. So that's why I so much want women to be, you know, as we talked about, prevention isn't about mammography. It's all the things we talked about in the previous two podcasts. Um, mammography is really just about um, early detection. Okay, and so, and in this case, diagnostic mammography is you know evaluating a problem, which is of course a very valid use of the mammogram and of course the ultrasound. Um, and so, okay, so then let's say then that lump that was suspicious, you do the mammogram and then the ultrasound, and it's still like okay, something looks really off here. What are the next steps? Well, again, if the biopsy is negative, and usually negative means it's a cyst or a, I call it a fibroadenoma. So you mean biopsy by going in there and cutting out this little thing to test it after the ultrasound? We usually talk about needle biopsy guided by the ultrasound, and that's minimally invasive. And I know many people are afraid of biopsies uh, spreading breast cancer if it's there. Almost all of the studies indicate that that's not the case. So we shouldn't be afraid of biopsies because of the fear of spreading breast cancer because the natural history of breast cancer is if it's going to spread, it's based on the basic nature of the tumor, not because whether you got a biopsy or not. Okay. So many people are afraid of biopsies because they're right. Because I feel like it'll poke it and then that'll kind of spread out the fibers and kind of like spread. It's just like a visual. Is that what people are thinking? Absolutely. Okay. It, that kind of makes sense in a mind of a non medical person, right? That, exactly. that would, that's kind of what I would think too. Yeah. I'd be like, no, don't poke it. We don't want to let it out. Yeah. See, exactly. Let it out. But the natural history of a, of a cancer is it's nature to metastasize. Metastasize means spread, by the way, um, is based upon the actual two biology, not whether you put a needle into it. And so um, the, and furthermore, if you do biopsy and find it's a cancer, you're going to be proceeding to therapies that would take away anything involving the needle track anyways, just in case that was your fear. And so, um, so anyway, so you do the needle biopsy and let's say it comes back as, as benign, then 
please just continue your own normal exams and don't do unnecessary screening mammograms, et cetera, or more frequently in the future. But let's say it does show a cancer. Okay. Um, and so now this is where the, the re, where it really gets interesting. Okay. And so interesting meaning again, that you're, and this all depends on stage and the biology of the tumor. And I think more than m- most people want to hear out there, but just have an understanding all breast cancers are different and it goes beyond the receptor types and all the things that we measure. It has to do some are more aggressive, some are less aggressive, and you can tell based upon the way it looks under a microscope. So it's really important at this point, the first step is to talk to a surgical oncologist. Now, the first book I recommend to almost everybody for cancer is this book called Emperor of All Maladies. And so I don't know if we've talked about this one before, but um, it's by uh, Dr. Mukherjee. He's an oncologist. And so for people who've had cancer or have had a family member who's had cancer, which is going to be the majority of us, by the way, um, this is a great book that overviews wow, this is how medicine came about. This is how the medical world views cancer from the surgical oncologist to the medical oncologist to the radiation oncologist. It's not specific for breast cancer, by the way, but it's for as a super well Pulitzer Prize winning book. I really recommend this to people in terms of understanding somewhat in a well-written way, even though it's a doctor writing it, um, uh, you know, what is the biology of cancer to some degree and how does the Western doctor approach that and how did the how did the realm of the surgical oncologist develop and the medical oncologist and all these other things? And so, so the first step that I have if I have a patient is I have a, a local two different uh, – Actually, it depends on where the person is at, but I have several breast surgeons that I know, and if I have a person who has um, a cancer, the first thing is to get an, an evaluation with a surgical oncologist that you trust. Now, of course, your local doctor should be the one referring you, and they should have somebody that they refer to that you can trust. In general, you don't need to go to any uh, tertiary care center, sorry, uh, like a university hospital at this phase of things. This is very standard stuff at this point. You want to be in the comfort of your home, own home and not going off to those areas unless somebody tells you to. Um, and so, and then, so the first step, surgical oncologist that you trust, you want to do what's now called an excisional biopsy. Okay. Now our lumpectomy, if you will. Now, most doctors nowadays, because, and we, we elucidated this in terms of, um, the, the, in the past is that the, the surgical oncologist in the past obviously did these radical mastectomies and the idea is a, a chance to cut is a chance to cure. Let's cut as much of the breast away as we can. What I would tell you is that, um, that's not been proven time and again, not to be the best approach. So for the most part, and again, there's so many caveats out there why this is going to change people, but for the most part nowadays, most doctors are just doing a lumpectomy and what they call a sentinel lymph node dissection. So if we find cancer on the first needle biopsy, remember that was done usually by the radiologist in the, in the radiology suite, um, the I, the primary care doctor or whoever you saw, um, gets the results and we see a certain type of um, cancer there. We usually do a lumpectomy with a sentinel lymph node dissection. Just means we take out one lymph node, which is extraordinarily safe to do, okay, because it helps us with the staging. Um, And there's ways of determining what the sentinel lymph node is. Um, This is what the surgeon does. And just doing a lumpectomy, so they try to get what they call wide excisions. And so sometimes if it's a bigger thing, they do a quadrantectomy 
mastectomy, taking a quadrant out of the breast. But um, for the most part, it's we're trying to do um, breast sparing surgery these days because there's no reason to take more. Okay, and so I know this is all sounding scary, but this is you have to get this information to make adequate decisions for the future. Okay, um, this is basically our staging analysis for the vast majority of times, unless uh, we aren't doing you know. CAT scans or all those other things because we're just starting with this information, okay? So, so we do, uh, you know, the surgical oncologist, and usually that's the end of the role for your surgical oncologist, which basically means a surgeon who's willing to deal with what our potential cancers. And most surgeons, um, you know, will let you know if they're comfortable with this stuff. So, but the, you know, and for the most part, this part is so easy, you don't need, uh, like I said, a referral to a tertiary care center. So does that make sense? Right. So they will, they'll just, they go in and they will just remove, let's say it's a, let's say it's a, a size of a, I don't know, a fig, I don't know, whatever. They'll just remove that whole thing as best as they can? Hopefully it'll be less than one centimeter. Um, uh, and one centimeter, there's two and a half centimeters and an inch, so that it'll be small enough. But obviously the size of the original tumor, whether there's a, a lymph node present, they'll do, be doing all kinds of stains. Uh, I recommend to, to almost everybody now that the, the doctor at the time and the, most of the surgical oncologists just are sending out um, a tissue typing, looking at some of the genetic analysis. The one I use the most is called Oncotype DX, and it's the and it can be done on any tissue specimen. And I recommend that being sent out really on any breast cancer um, uh, because first of all, the insurances will cover this and will give us some of the genetic analyses of the tumor as well. Um, so, and furthermore, they they why do we want to know about the genetic? I mean that okay, so that. It's a little confusing, right? Because they think genetics is our genes, and then we think, okay, you're taking out this lump. What's genetic about it? I mean, I get there's genetic material and everything. You're looking for the the, the genetic mutations present, and so and it helps determine whether we think any form of chemotherapy might be of use. Because when, when we get down the road in terms of treatment, one of the next questions is going to be, do I do chemotherapy? Do I do hormonal ablation therapy? What forms of therapies do I do? Okay. And so, and we want as much information as possible, you know? And so now remember, you know, I've had patients who've declined lumpectomy. They have these lumps and we pretty much know declined biopsy. Uh, Many times now we're just treat, you know, kind of treating in the dark, so to speak. We don't know what kind of tumor type. We don't know if it's an estrogen receptor positive or not. We don't know if this thing called HER2, which is a a growth factor present that's present um, that uh, guide what they call um, guided chemotherapy. Okay. And so um, targeted chemotherapy is another term. Um, And so, so we hopefully will get this array of information from, from the standard biopsy information the types of cell receptors, this HER2 positivity or not. Um, the Oncotype DX is looking at certain gene mutation profiles that predict um, how aggressive the tumor might be and benefits of adding in certain things like chemotherapy, because there is a role for chemotherapy in some women, by the way. Okay, um, And so now on that order, we have then that's the idea. You get this, and for the most part, there's not going to be any more surgery to done, again, of course, the majority of times. Sometimes because there's not enough in excision, the surgeon has to go back in and get a wider excision, by the way, okay? Um, But, you know, these are all things going to be discussed at the time after the uh, surgical results are available. But at that point, um, basically, the next step is to see – now, this kind of goes into what I do because you know I've been through this uh, – the Fellowship in Integrative Cancer Therapies through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. 
There are many other uh, groups out there that are trying to help doctors come better, become better at helping people kind of wade through the, the quagmire of what to do in the, in the face of the daunting diagnosis of breast cancer, okay? And so uh, if you're looking in your area for a doctor who has at least some training in integrative cancer therapies, I recommend going to worldhealth.net. That's the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine website, um, looking for a physician locator for your area. And if you, it'll put in your zip code, some physicians will come up and you're looking for ones that have been trained in integrative cancer therapies. That's the main group that's kind of helping train doctors in this area. There are others. There's naturopathic physicians who haven't gone through this that are good as well. So I'm not saying you have to have the certification, but you do want to have somebody on your team and that's a physician or a naturopathic physician who knows how to, to wade through what to do um, and give you other, uh, other things to do besides chemotherapy. Because unfortunately, most women get this, go right to the oncologist and think the only thing they can do is chemotherapy. It's the only proven treatment in the world, and that is 100% wrong. <laughs> um, and so, um, but because their primary care doctor is so afraid of cancer, you get turfed to the oncologist. For the most part, the, the standard doctor doesn't want anything to do with that, meaning most internists like me. Um, and we turf you to the oncologist, meaning we wash our hands of you and you go there and we don't talk about cancer anymore. Okay. And so, and that's unfortunate, of course, but that's trust me, the standard way it's done. Um, and so, and at that point, you're left to the whims of the, the medical oncologist who really thinks almost everybody should get chemotherapy. Now, they're learning some, and there's all kinds of things that are changing in the chemotherapy world, but you go from the surgical oncologist to the medical oncologist at this point, and then the discussion will go, do I do, you know, what they call cytotoxic chemotherapy, um, which means the standard, you know, platinum drugs and all the other things that we use? Um, do I do targeted chemotherapy? And these are usually focusing on the HER2 receptor, things like Herceptin and Pergetta. You guys do not need to know all these things per se, but just know that there are, and I do strongly recommend if you're strongly HER2 positive, that's just a growth factor found on the biopsy report that you strongly consider doing targeted chemotherapy for those types of things because that's the, the wave of the future is to find targeted um, things that are more specific to the cancer cell than just giving chemotherapy, which basically just treats growth. Okay. And so, um, and then of course. So essentially, I mean, I guess this may be an obvious statement, but so then each cancer, each lump that's cancerous has its own life and its own unique that needs to be treated all differently, right? Each one can, is absolutely treated differently. And on the note of having the doctor along with you on the side that's integrative and, you know, understands what you do about cancer, that, because again, like you just go, oh yeah, I'm just going to get this all cut out and, and burned up. But at the other end, there's other therapies and supplements and things over here that could even be part of why you got it in the first place, right? So how important is that to, yeah, it's so important. There's so many other therapies going on that of course those doctors are going to discount, right? They're going to go, that's the useless. Don't, don't bother. Exactly. And they don't know it, but as you know, it's kind of a fear-based world out there and people, when they don't understand things, they tend to be afraid of it. So in general, and, and this isn't meant to be condemning of MDs at all, 
but they don't understand any of the things that we talk about in terms of other forms of immunotherapy and supplements and things. So therefore, they're afraid of it. If they're afraid of it, they'll say, don't do this because it'll just get in the way of my chemo. And chemo is the only proven thing. And this kind of goes into, as you know, the, the indoctrination of the physician. They start to believe that the only thing in the world that can work is, is Western chemotherapeutic drugs. Um, and then because for the most part, as you know, the pharmaceutical industry drives this industry. So the vast, basically the only research that can be done is based on the pharmaceutical, the, what the pharmaceutical industry tells the, the physicians to do. And subsequently speaking, it really is the only research out there because essentially everything else is being suppressed, which is again, why we really don't have a true science-based medical system. That's its own discussion. Um, but uh, but this is true everywhere in the world. It's not just uh, it's England here, everywhere else is this. There's a suppression of these healthy things that we want people to do because they're inexpensive and there's a, a multi-billion dollar industry to make sure you don't do the, good, the healthy good things and make sure you take the side of the, the very powerfully um, powerful drugs that make gazillions of dollars for the, the powers that be. So depending on each, let's say you have to go through a chemotherapy or radiation, you know, some sort of kind of serious, you know, Western medicine treatment that it does wreak havoc on the body or is, you know, really strong. What are some integrative therapies on the side that people do do and can do with their doctor? Like what are, I mean, I'm sure they're all different and catered to the patient, but what are some of those integrative therapies that can accompany, you know, that kind of treatment and help the person get through it? Now we do know and talked on the show about a ketogenic lifestyle and how it may or may not be good for certain types of cancers. And for anyone interested, uh, The Ketogenic Kitchen, written by two cancer survivors, is a great book about that if someone's interested in that. So that's sort of one integrative diet sort of therapy that, that is spoken about in this industry. But what are some other things like that we wouldn't think about, like vitamin C IVs? I mean, what, what are people doing? Right. And so, um, and yes, I will get to that. But just to finish off where we're starting is, Please, I think it is wise for everybody to be knowledgeable, get the opinion of an oncologist about what the chemotherapy options are and things, because they are all very synergistic with what we do as integrative oncologists as well, okay? And get the opinion of a radiation oncologist. Radiation, in my opinion, is way overused that many times with certain tumor types, the lumpectomy should have radiation, meaning localized radiation, but many times it should not. But that's something to discuss with a radiation oncologist. But focusing on our approach, get information, people. I know it's it's confusing, um, but this is the thing is that the idea that you can only do the things that the Western doctors are doing for you is is inaccurate, and the vast majority of times is wrong, okay? And so you sh really do need to be your own advocate for your health here and do exactly what Elle is asking me about right now is work with somebody who knows how to treat from other mechanisms than just doing chemotherapies and things. The thing I want to point everybody to is on our website, which is middlepathmedicine.com. Okay. There is a PowerPoint presentation called Treating Cancer. Okay, um, and so the uh, and so on that order, um, it is what well, I use even to. We've I've been involved in training uh, doctors in, in integrative cancer therapies for uh, several years now. Um, uh, so I look for it, and I continue to do so. Um, and so on that order. Uh, this is a presentation that's a little bit much for many people, but it has good information. And the and it's uh, it's about 75 slides long. Just skip over the ones that are uh, difficult for you. But I'm going to actually reference th this presentation again. 
um, on integrative um, treating cancer is what it's called, or integrative cancer therapies, also known as integrative oncology. Um, it's a uh, and and go to that PowerPoint. And I referenced the things that we talked about with Emperor of All Maladies. Going into the ketogenic thing, I re referenced Thomas Seyfried's information. Thomas Seyfried has written a book, um, it's S-E-Y-F-R-E-I-E-D, um, that is a little bit much for most people on um, um, uh, cancer as a metabolic disease, but he does talk about ketogenics in here. He has some good YouTube videos. I prefer, most of my patients prefer his YouTube videos if they're interested in approaching from a more ketogenic standpoint, okay? Um, the book itself, Cancer is a Metabolic Disease, is very good, but it is read at, read, excuse me, written at a, a postgraduate level. So if you don't have a lot of background in uh, biochemistry and organic chemistry, it's not worth getting. Um, but his YouTube videos, I think, are quite doable, okay? Um, we talk about tumor biology. We talk about the problems with chemotherapy. On slide 16, we talk about what, what the negatives of chemotherapy are and inducing cancer stem cells to grow faster. Okay. Um, the, uh, and I'm going through my slides right now because I don't have every slide memorized. So um, on slide 26 and 27, there's a very poignant point why everybody has to do this. And so uh, slide 27 is specifically looking at the age-adjusted cancer mortalities from 1950 to 2010. And you see how many advances we've made in so many areas cancer is not one of them. And it's really important for people to understand that in the first whole, you know, 20 uh, slides of the show, talk about how the most solid tumors, the disease isn't as much super fast cell growth as a lack of programmed cell death. And I know I'm getting all doctory here, but, um, but I am a doctor. <laughs> um, and so I'm allowed to do that. Uh, but, but I'm, and this stuff isn't that difficult to understand. Most doctors think of cancer as explosive cell growth. So of course you do, you give chemotherapy, which attacks cell growth. Most solid tumors have some component of that. Remember some, however, most of them have more where there's a classic saying, which is that cancer doesn't grow too fast, it dies too little. So the what we really are trying to do is bring back these um, it's your immune system and these programmed cell death regulation mechanisms and kill the cancer that way because explosive cell growth isn't the primary problem for most of the tumors, not all of the tumors, okay? Um, and be clear, like for instance, uh, uh, if a breast cancer has a very high mitotic rate, which means fast cell growth on, when on the biopsy, it does lead me more to thinking chemotherapy is going to be useful because that type of cancer has more of the explosive cell growth and might benefit from some chemotherapy now. Um, but it, it, this is how individualizing it is important instead of just being an, an algorithm. But the slide on that, slide 27, really points out to people is that the entire, in 60 years of doing this, we have made almost no difference whatsoever um, in, in, in actual uh, solid tumor uh, mortality. We have made some big differences in leukemia and lymphoma, by the way. Um, and so, uh, and so, and and what I'm doing now, by the way, is giving the background by why everybody should be doing this and looking into integrative cancer therapies because what we are doing isn't working the majority of times. And it's this mass delusional thing out there where we continue to do the same thing. It is fundamentally not even treating the primary problem with cancer. It actually cannot work the way it's being done, but people think it's the only way or somehow it's science-based when science tells you not to do it. Okay. Um, so I 
find that so fascinating that um, that the, for some reason, and again, it's uh, people seem to be so duped by this idea that diet doesn't matter, exercise doesn't matter. And I talk about the uh, slide 30 is that what the integrative oncologist is supposed to do. And I make a big point of the things that you said earlier, which we're not going to belabor right now because I know I talk on too long. But, you know, getting a cancer diagnosis, it's all senses for healing. We talked about that. Um, the dealing with stress management. I actually put a, on one of the slides about breast cancer and stress, um, a study that was done using the salivary cortisol profile as a, um, a marker of people who are not doing well with stress, documenting that at the same stage of cancer diagnosis, women who are perceiving more stress survive at a much lower rate than women who have a more normal um, adrenal stress profile. Um, well, and that would be just contributing to then inflammation, correct? If the cortisol's outputting too high or et cetera. So you don't want to create sort of an inflammatory state there while you're dealing with another inflammatory <laughs> disease, right? My experience, well, this is partly has to do with adrenaline responses and things. For some reason, um, many cancers become a little bit hardwired from your own body. And, and the most stress sensitive cancers are pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, I think colon and then breast is next. Okay, so many cancers are extraordinarily stress sensitive. Um, breast is among the top ones, but obviously I don't think the number one, but definitely there's evidence. So this is why I tell people, most of my patients, the first thing you do is that I'll, if you have a significant cancer, um, then the, the first thing you should do is like, I need to, and this is especially true for you women out there, prioritize yourself, okay? You, you need to do a, as much, my full-time job is healing. That's what I ask of them. And you know, we have that entire stress management series on our website. I cannot emphasize enough, I have had entire um, visits with my patients that thought we were gonna talk about things like high dose IV vitamin C, and all we talked about is going through marriage therapy and those types of things, because if they stayed in whatever relationship, nothing was gonna get better, okay? And so this got, and, and that's partly the what we're talking about with stress, okay? The nutrition things, as you know, I primarily recommend a you know very organic um, uh, paleo type diet. Um, there's so much confusion out there. I think maybe on the previous ones, previous talks, we talked about how if you ever want to go to an integrative cancer uh, uh, um, conference, which I don't really recommend to you both viewers out there, and start a start a little fight, just start talking about nutrition because you have such obsessively you know, the vegan obsessives, the, the, the juicing obsessives and the paleo obsessives and the rest of them who, who have lost this basic concept that nutrition treats people and not diseases. And so each person who has breast cancer will need a different diet. That's true for anything which each person has, whether it's the heart disease or cancer or whatever. And now the basic principle is, is a ketogenic diet, a good diet um, for most cancers. And the answer is yes. But it's not right for everybody, as you well know, El. And so, um, and so, on that order, uh, the and again, I want to be clear with everybody: I'm not against ketogenic diets. There's a lot of effort to go through, and I have most people have so much energy, and if they're going to spend 90% of their energy doing ketogenic and they don't have any energy to go exercise, because trust me, some people are like this, then then we're missing the point. We need to lighten up a little bit, okay? And so on um, page, on slide 41, and I do recommend people look at this presentation. It's a good presentation. It is a bit much for the lay person, but you can just skip through the slides that don't make any sense to you. Um, and 
you know, and, and it's very important to take a look at how I really have to eat well for my body type, but learn, you know, so I, for instance, I had a lady recently who was doing poorly on paleo, um, and she just started juicing for a while, probably needed to detox, and then she went back on paleo about uh, three weeks later, and all of a sudden, everything was great again. So she probably needed to focus more on detoxification, which is obviously very true many times, and then went back to a paleo diet, which was good for her. She, But I told her what she did was so perfect because she listened to herself, and she didn't get, because she was so afraid of not doing paleo and doing juicing and too many carbs, and, and, and I said, and she didn't let that control her life. She listened to her body. And even though there's quote unquote too many carbs in a juicing diet, I'm sure it was absolutely the right thing for her, you know? Um, and so that's why you have to be, you, the listener, have to be the, the person who chooses your nutrition, but cut out artificial stuff. Nobody, the, the doctors seriously in the chemotherapy places often have sweets and candies and donuts and things. It's just horrific. Okay. Um, so you cannot get nutritional information from a medical oncologist. They give you the worst information. They'll essentially tell you, don't take, don't care about what you eat, put it, take any drug you want. Don't take any supplements. Seriously. I've seen those handouts. And yep. So, I bet it. I bet I can believe it. And so, uh, it, and unfortunately these people, because it's a time of stress in their life, they believe them. And, and it's a, unfortunately it would be like asking that, asking that doctor about nutrition would be like asking me about how to repair your car. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if I started speaking on it, then you really would be worried because I wouldn't even know what those gizmos are. Anyways, the, so, so, you know, so I point out the high, the dangers of high fructose corn syrup, the, the dangers of obesity, um, especially in breast cancer. So I have slides on slide 43s and 44s showing that, you know, if you are overweight, if you have a body mass index over 30, how much, how much higher the mortality is if you have a diagnosis of breast cancer. So obesity has become one of our biggest issues and people are often afraid to lose weight when they have this diagnosis. And actually most of the times that's the most important thing they can do. Now I'm not. A okay. So if someone, so if someone got diagnosed with breast cancer and they are obese or really heavily overweight, that is something to really look at while they're going through the process and the journey. Far more evidence. And you can look at the survival curves on this, uh, you know, things that, um, that show profoundly how much difference treating obesity would be versus taking any of the chemotherapy or anything else it's doing nutrition now remember if you are underweight don't try to lose weight so if you're normal weight don't try to lose weight but most again we know two-thirds of americans are overweight and obese so actually losing weight is a very important thing because it's just a sign of the imbalance that led to the cancer to begin with if you look you know, when i've referred to cancer as a metabolic disease the primary thing underlying cancer is my, mitochondrial dysfunction, and that, that entire book in Thomas Seabree's book is based on that. But the genetic mutations that form in cancer are essentially a protective me mechanism involved in your body's essentially mitochondrial dysfunction problem, which is its own you know discussion there, Al. Um, well, right. No, and I love that, and we won't get too into that, but that makes sense because if you are obese, you are giving your, there's already mitochondrial dysfunction <laughs> going on, right? You're, and you can change that and ignite that and increase the ATP and get things going. And that would be the goal. Right. And essentially the cancer is kind of a, a body's like a cell trying to become immortal, trying to protect itself from your, 
from the mitochondrial dysfunction we've gotten from the way we're eating and, and our lack of exercise and things. And so um, I make a big point on slides 47 and, and I want to be and, and 48 is a review about how important um, uh, well exercise is unequivocally proven to decrease mortality in breast cancer and, and colon cancer. It's strongly linked with improvements in every other form of cancer as well, too. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps with adrenal function. Um, of course, all the insulin-related pathways. So again, and, and I have slides up there, so I really want people to see this, how profoundly different the survival is. You Just from being a couch potato to having very mild activity at the same level of diagnosis for breast cancer, you can decrease your mortality from it by up to 50%. Okay, and that's a profound difference that is better than any of the drugs, anybody, any chemotherapies and all the other things that the doctors are going to be pushing on you. Okay, so um, and so it's, and and this is all in our, it's, you know, the, the, the one on slide 51 is from JAMA. I mean, this is not stuff that is not known to the doctoring world. There's essentially no lobby to push exercise, though. So once again, why don't doctors recommend if there was a drug? that did what slide 51 shows you, uh, uh, what exercise does, trust me, we would be infusing you with exercise <laughs> and probably charging you millions of dollars to do so. <laughs> and so I know we can't do that, Al, but you know, uh, um, you know, and so, so when you look at these things and we talk about, and, and I, there's also things that talk about colorectal mortality, cancer mortality, but the, you know, so much in terms of nutrition and exercise and my experience, and I promise I'm going to get to IVC and things like that. Uh, I promise I'll, um, <laughs> um, but my experience with my patients, it's the ones who really go full in. They make the changes. They uh, quit the job that doesn't work for them, or at least they go to, to part-time or go on disability. They uh, dedicate themselves to their meditative practice, to their nutrition practice, to their exercise practice, and to their supplement practice, because there are roles significantly for certain supplements in the treatment of, um, of uh, breast cancer. And so, uh, and, and, and listen to your integrative oncologist about this, because unfortunately, if you see a radiation oncologist or a surgical or a hematologist oncologist, the, the, the Western kind of chemotherapy-based doctor, they don't understand these things. And unfortunately, they, they speaking on these supplements and things would be like, seriously, like me talking about mechanics. You just don't want to listen to them. Okay, um, so so listen to them about the chemotherapy, okay, because they know what they're talking about there. They just don't understand this other stuff. It's kind of a voodoo to them. And, so, and they don't understand that it's important and they will dismiss it or discount it. That happens all the time, even with thyroid patients who discourage it. They will absolutely usually go past dismissing to, um, you know, trying to and they're not I don't think intentionally trying to hurt their patients, but they will be trying to hurt their patients by telling you not to take the things that we're trying to do to save you. Um, because there are things that you most everything can be taken concurrent with chemotherapy, even if you choose it. Another caveat here, El, most people think you either have to do the natural things or you have to do the Western things. Right. You can do both at the same time. Both. That's the whole, in that's why it's called integrative, you know, um, <laughs> because it's not just an either or thing, you know, and so, and as you well know, some people out there absolutely refuse to talk to any of these oncologists and sometimes they deny themselves life-saving therapies based upon fear of the, those doctors. You don't have to be afraid of them. They just have expertise. 
and um, and treating with chemotherapy, and they can be a little jerky about this other stuff, but you know that's just because you're challenging their belief systems, right? Right, and that we have a whole discussion on that in Paleothyroid Solution, right? About it's just not in their wheelhouse. This is, you know, what they're just going, you know, by what they train and what they think is important. And looking outside of that is again like asking a rabbi to do hail marys, like you said in the book. It's just not even a fair question to even ask that doctor. And um, anyways, insulting to them. Right. Yeah. And then it offends them. So, so it's like, leave the nutrition and the alternative stuff to the experts in that arena and leave the chemo to the chemo guys. And the radiation to the radiation doctors and the surgery to the surgery doctors. And so, um, and, and gradually, I think, you know, decade by decade, this is going to get better, but this is not going to change quickly. Okay. So before we lead into some therapies, I just want to throw this out there. So one of the success stories in our book, Paleothyroid Solution, um, a girl named Kara, she, her story was that she was untreated for so many years and, you know, Hashimoto's and doctors, endocrinologists were doing the old school, outdated, you know, medical wisdom. And what happened was, is when she finally went to a doctor that, you know, tested her, did a whole, you know, spectra cell profile and looked at all of her vitamin and minerals and literally looked at her and said, if you were not sitting across from me, I would think that I would be looking at the profile of someone who was going through or just finished chemotherapy. So that makes me think, oh, okay, so now what kind of havoc and what kind of crapola happens when you do have <laughs> Seriously, like, why would she have said that, right? So what can go wrong and what can be off, you know, set up? What can go wrong, you know, with the body when you have chemotherapy? It seems like it's such an intense thing on the body, you would absolutely need some integrative therapy on the side. So like, what can it do to your body? Like make you deficient in things? Um, give us the havoc it can wreak. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what a leading question there, Elle. Um, <laughs> you know, so, well, it seems like it obviously can. Yeah, so the thing is, again, now, as we talked about responsibility and, and healing means taking responsibility for your own health. Unfortunately, most people feel guilt, blame, and shame, and they're going to blame themselves for the cancer, and that's the last thing we want them to do. Most people who develop these cancers, not everybody, have a lot of things going on, and we, as you know, that's where the integrative doctor really should be working with you. They have thyroid dysfunctions. For instance, they have high levels of thyroid peroxidase antibodies, which might have even induced the cancer, so we need to deal with their immune system dysfunction. We need to improve their thyroid. We need to improve their adrenals. Um, talking about women about their um, their ovarian hormones, this is a big point of fear, especially with breast cancer, of course. Um, but those are the imbalances, not excess estrogen. And we talked about that and other things. It's really not excess estrogen. It's xenoestrogens in the environment that cause breast cancer. Um, and so now, and so, and one of the slides that I I, I point out in the and you know in our um, uh, talk is just heal the gut first. You know, most people have such horrible leaky gut and pro-inflammatory states. You, you try to give them supplements, it's not going to work because their gut doesn't work, right? And so you have to do, heal their gut first. So because and and you do need a full evaluation to try to make you as stress hardy as possible, especially if we're going to be start throwing chemotherapeutic agents at you, right? Um, right. So you're kind of like part a partner in preparing and and getting all the underlying things to be as strong as possible. Exactly. And that's the thing is, yeah, that's why, it, that's why I talk about full-time job is healing now. And I 
cannot emphasize this is enough. This seems to be especially difficult for ladies to take on. Um, they, uh, they don't want to take care of themselves. They're too busy taking care of other people. They don't have the time to take care of themselves. Um, and it's such a challenge for you guys because guys are a little bit better at being selfish. And so, um, and so, and of course I'm generalizing here, but this is a challenge for you guys really to take a priority in your, in your own um, healing and deal with the chronic constipation you've been having and all those other things and deal with the weight issues because they're all part of this problem without ever blaming yourself, you know? And so, and yes, you need all kinds of nutritional evaluations. What is the, according to some people, the number one cause of, uh, of uh, breast cancer is vitamin D deficiency. And there's a lot out there. And I see so many women and I've actually, they've been there. I've had several women in my practice and this might sound horrible to admit as a doctor who've had low vitamin D. I've been begging with them to take vitamin D for years and they won't take it until they have breast cancer. And I'm just wondering if they had just started this years ago but they read in the press not to take more than a thousand units or their standard doctor tells them not to do it be afraid of vitamin D and we could have pr probably prevented all these cancers just by getting their vitamin D levels up you know and it's and on that note vitamin D deficiency is kind of at the root of a lot of diseases so it's you know not just breast cancer right oh of course and so so correct you know measure your vitamin D levels and you know all the things we talked about in paleothyroid remember many of those things are just about making the person heart is they're improving their stress hardiness so it's not much different than what we talk about in other conditions is that this is but yes if you have an aggressive cancer it's even more imperative to get on it now not in five minutes you know and so uh, and so on that order all the things that we talk about, this is the time to bring those in as well as bringing your attention to dealing with the, the, the cancer at hand, which of course, how aggressive you are depends on how aggressive the cancer is. Now, the, when we talk about the integrative therapies to do, you deal with all these underlying imbalances, okay? Now, let me just do one side link of the European doctors when we get to with this one treatment, will tell you every breast cancer is related to root canals. I don't think every breast cancer is caused by root canals. However, what I do tell people is there's a, a ton of evidence from the biological dentist that root canals are, 100% of root canals are chronically infected, leaving a pro-inflammatory state, which could be the induction of, of cancers in our body. I think that is biologically accurate. Um, I do not take most of my patients right now, and immediately, if you have breast cancer diagnosis, go get your root canals removed. Some doctors do that, by the way, okay? now. I'm not saying I'm right either, by the way, Al. I'm just saying is I don't think I have enough evidence with everything else I'm trying to get people to do to go spend a few thousand dollars with a biological dentist. But um, but I, I might be wrong. Maybe I, I should be doing that. But for the long term, I tell most people, um, don't get root canals, period, anyways. If the tooth is gone, get it removed and do an implant if you need to. But uh, I do think root canals should become a thing of the past. Okay. Interesting. I had no idea that was even an element. <laughs> Fascinating. And again, it goes into if you, you know, because I've trained with many different types of doctors and um, the European groups, uh, German, etc. that, you know, that's, that's in their literature, uh, England, uh, you know, uh, you know, get, get root canals removed. It's like, oh, you got diagnosed with breast cancer. Let's get the root canals out, you know, and I, I don't, I think, I don't think that's the best use of our time. I'm not, like I said, but 
this is a part why it's called a practice of medicine everybody is you know just we have to be willing to be wrong and uh, and so uh, if uh, you know if somebody has you know uh, you know we do ask them about their dental health obviously um, and I do encourage people eventually to get these things taken care of but I wouldn't look at it as the top thing I would do um, I would I, of course you know we measure markers of inflammation and that's all part of the, the you know the what we do as uh, integrative oncologists the more inflammation present the more aggressive we treat it now, one of the things I want to do is take people to slide 59 on the integrative cancer therapy. And once again, this is on um, treating cancer PowerPoint on middlepathmedicine.com. It just will help you with our conversation. Um, and it talks about the efficacy and safety of melatonin and concurrent chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Now, as, as fancy as that might sound, is it's the studies of melatonin treating solid tumors uh, if you're getting chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And high-dose melatonin, which means 20 milligrams nightly, is something everybody who has a breast cancer should be doing, if they're having active treatment, should do, with or without chemotherapy. Um, and these all these combined of eight randomized clinical trials, and I, I'm going to read this to everybody because I want you to hear this. This is the results of this, and I have the... Uh, the uh, study up on the website, um, melatonin, melatonin significantly improved the complete and partial remission, changing it from 16% to 32%. That's a doubling of complete and partial remission, which means getting rid of it. It doubled one-year survival rate from 28% to 52%, okay? Dramatically reduced all the side effects, decreased problems with platelets from 19% to 2%, problems with nerves from 15% to 2% made fatigue go from 49% to 17%. So here is one form of th treatment that you can use on its own or in com combination with whatever therapy that you could use, and you can double survival, double remission, and dramatically decrease side effects, and it costs next to nothing and no doctors using it. <laughs> um, okay, that's interesting. What is it about the melatonin? Because normally, you know, when I hear melatonin, I hear, oh, that's for people who have trouble sleeping or are on, you know, shift schedules and need that, and I always consider it to be a sleep thing. So what is it about it that is helpful here to make all these statistics be so significant? Most of the things we're going to talk about is improving program cell death rate. Okay. So remember we saw solid tumors primarily, they die too little. It's not growing too much. So we want to help with this die too little thing, meaning helping cancer cells that are supposed to self-destruct, destruct, or do find ways of helping our immune system remove them. And so and this goes for everybody out there. There's an argument that everybody over 50 should be on low-dose melatonin, two and a half to five milligrams a night. Um, by the age of 70, we make zero melatonin. So that's and, and the reason I bring this up is so many people, the life extension people, whatever, are so afraid of melatonin, and it's absolutely crazy, ridiculous. It's like being afraid of vitamin D. As we get older, we make less and less. By 50, it's at least 50% reduction. By 70, we're at zero, okay? impulse power at best, okay? Um, I know this is more of a Star Wars day, not a Star Trek day, but we'll use it. Our <laughs> yes, and everybody, you should go see Rogue One, uh, you know. You know anyway. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll make a press for some <laughs> for some sci-fi nostalgia right now. Yeah, What the hell with melatonin? Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> the... <laughs> Because actually, melatonin goes rogue on this. Anyways. That's right. There you go. Uh, <laughs> right what melanto what everybody needs to know is this loss of melatonin, uh, a very important hormone from our pineal gland. And I can go into the importance of this thing from a chakra imbalance to everything else, but I won't do that. But melatonin is very important because you have melatonin receptors in every cell of your body. The idea that it just is important for sleep is a complete mythology. It does help go to a certain area of our brain called the reticular activating system, and it does help us with sleep and with shift work and the things you're talking about. 
usually low doses, uh, you know, one to two and a half milligrams for shift work for those types of things can be very, very helpful in terms of resynchronizing our body and things. But as we get older, for prevention, you could you could actually suggest everybody over 50, which I have to admit I am, um, the being on melatonin, five milligrams, uh, melatonin, a continuous release. There's a drug version from Europe that's available through, I think it's Zymogen called Melatonin CR, um, five milligrams nightly as being next to vitamin D, the next most important form of preventive hormonal therapy that exists. Okay. Why is that? Melatonin goes to your cells and actually helps, it, it's like pruning leaves, it helps set off the signal to help your body prune during the night. This is why mel why sleep is so regenerative, is melatonin is the regeneration hormone. It helps signal cells to, to kill themselves if, that, if their time is due and helps with the leading in of new cells growing in. It's such a good signal that at high doses, the 20 milligrams I just talked about, it has those kinds of benefits when added to chemotherapy and radiation therapy. In my experience, it's very important as well um, on its own, even though there's not many studies on its own, because if you're going to get a study done at a university hospital, of that's right, got to have a problem first. <laughs> of course, of course, you're going to be on chemotherapy, radiation therapy, because you would never get the study approved without it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I you, do. You're going to find studies at any university with just melatonin alone. No, because that would be considered a um, poor cure because why weren't you giving chemotherapy? Um, the stuff that we already proved didn't work. And so um, so on that order, melatonin. So first, um, this is true for probably everybody with um, um, any form of cancer. I say go on high-dose melatonin. Uh, for the most part, I usually just go bam to 20 milligrams because people are afraid. We all know melatonin can cause um, nightmares, uh, vivid dreaming in general, of course. Um, but if you start on it and you go through that, usually with not everybody, by the way, but, you know, if you have a severe disease, I would try to go through it because within a week, you're probably going to adapt to it and it won't cause morning hangover or any of the other things. Most people, if anything, feel better with melatonin. They're either sleeping better, not worse, etc. But occasionally people do have problems with this therapy because it is a fairly high dose. And yes, we're going way past at that dosage, 20 milligrams. We're going way past physiological. Nobody's arguing that. Most of us will make about two to two and a half milligrams of melatonin in our youthful ages um, and in a day. Um, so that's why the dosage is about that area. But when we're treating something like cancer, we go to higher dosage because we need more to, to really induce the signal that leads to the program cell death. So you're saying you might, it might be worth kind of giving it five nights first and seeing if you can get over the hump of some of the potential side effects that you were just talking about, because then after that, it may subside and just normalize. It usually does. Okay. The next form of therapy that I give to most all of my patients um, is called low-dose naltrexone. Have we talked about it? Yeah, of course we did. Sorry. Yeah, we talked about it for thyroid. So that, that if anyone's interested, you can look at our book. Up. No, it's okay. But I, that's interesting because I had not heard about it before you. And you mentioned that that was something that can really help get the Hashimoto's antibodies if all else fails and can really assist in that. That is something I was not aware of. And you do talk about that in the Q&A section of uh, Paleothyroid Solution. But now I'm curious to see how it affects this. So um, again, the, I always reference the, the naltrexone website, which is a decent website. It's lowdosenaltrexone.org. That's L-O-W-D-O-S-E-N-A-L-T-R-E-X-O-N-E.org. Um, and so, uh, and they have, because if you go to any other website, if you just Google naltrexone, don't do it. It'll take you to, to sites about drug overdoses and things like that. Um, it's a low dose of this medicine that is an anti-narcotic, okay? And its net effect is to boost these things called enkephalins and endorphins. So we'll just call them endorphins from here on out. 
It's an endorphin booster. Okay, And on the website, they talk more about it than we're going to do here. But basically, it is a really good way of also using another mechanism. Because what we're trying to do is getting these cells, which have become, they really have gone off on their own. And there are, they have mechanisms to kill themselves that have been overcome by a variety of mechanisms. And we can signal those through melatonin and through naltrexone and actually get closer to the root of what's causing cancer, which is this cancer not dying enough, okay? And because it's what it's supposed to do. And so, and naltrexone boosts endorphins. The only double blind trials, by the way, that exist are on fibromyalgia, it can help with pain, and in Crohn's disease. Everything else is anecdotal. Okay, so why aren't your doctors using this? It's because there's no double-blind trials. And once again, this is the problem with what doctors call evidence-based medicine. If all research is being suppressed, meaning there won't be ever any ever evidence on this, your doctor therefore won't ever use it, even though it makes biological sense, it's safe, and it's inexpensive. Okay, um, so any doctor that spouts evidence-based medicine, it just basically means they've bought into the hoodwinking. You know, they're 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 only going to use the, the things that kind of come through the pipeline from the pharmaceutical industry. And it's okay to use studies, but just remember, these studies are not going to be ever be done on this medicine. It's, I, I, I put my patients, I send them through a compounding pharmacy, um, and so, and they get this medicine. Sometimes we start at lower dosages, but we build a four and a half milligrams a night. It is profound. I have had some cases where this medicine alone led to complete remissions of, of metastatic cancers. I've, oh my God, that's amazing. So you're talking about before they even did any conventional treatment. Anything else, okay? Wow. Now, had cases, of course. Now, where it didn't work either. So remember, we're not saying this is a panacea. What I tell everybody out there, because the slides that I slipped over earlier is talking about how many mutations are present in each cancer. It can be overwhelming. So when your doctor does a targeted drug like Herceptin against HER2, you're dealing with one pathway out of sometimes 14 or 15 pathways that the cancer can grow from. So when you're dealing with cancer, you have to hit from a, a variety of different mechanisms. So that's why very rarely will I just hit from one mechanism. That's why I don't just use melatonin or I don't use just naltrexone only. There's some cases where my patients said, listen, you get two things to use, so give me your top two or your top three, and I'm going, mom, that's not the way I would do it. That's the only right. reason you know in some people it was the primary thing because they wouldn't let me use other things. Um, <laughs> um, and so, uh, but it's safe. It's an endorphin booster. The only contraindication is you shouldn't take other narcotics with it because remember. Right. So if, you, so if you're a heroin user, you might have to get <laughs> some <laughs> first. Yeah. Very good. Heroin users would not like this drug whatsoever. It would it would bum them out as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but man, naltrexone is an important thing, and it's not that expensive. Most of the times, it costs depending on your compounding pharma pharmacy, like in the forty to fifty bucks a month. And I know people out there that might sound like a lot, but in the world of cancer therapies, when you're talking about whatever, right, thousands of dollars for stuff, yeah, fifteen dollars for melatonin and forty dollars for naltrexone, that is nothing. Because even if your insurance covers your chemotherapies, you're usually out thousands of dollars a month, usually, depending on your insurance. And then one of the things you asked about, and this is what we do, and I have had great experience using high-dose IV vitamin C in breast cancer. So high-dose IV vitamin C, okay, also known as HDIVC, um, uh, has been known about for at least the 70s, so we'll say at least for, you know, 40-plus years now. Um, <clears throat> and it's... If you think of ascorbate, which is, I'm sorry, ascorbate is vitamin C, um, it's, it goes in through the glucose receptors. So we all know that 
the cancers have greatly upregulated insulin and glucose receptors. And so, and ascorbate can slip into cancer cells and will concentrate in cancer cells at greatly higher levels than it does in normal cells. Now, here's the beauty of this, and this is what is, um, the Western doctors don't understand. We think of it as an antioxidant, and we think that's protective. What happens is the cancer cell has abnormal metabolism, and it, the, the ascorbate that gets, goes in there become, becomes a pro-oxidant almost instantaneously. So it's essentially like giving a medicine that goes in, selectively concentrates in cancer cells, and acts as a pro-oxidant, which means basically a pro-inflammatory. And so, and here is the beauty of this. It'll take go to your normal cells who know how to metabolize it and protect them, okay? So IVC can be used in conjunction with chemotherapy, can be used on its own as a form of a more aggressive approach to more aggressive cancers. It's a lot of work, people. It's usually starting at 25 grams, going to 50, going to 75. 75 grams twice a week is the standard dosage for about three months, and then you evaluate it. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of money, by the way, okay? Um, Almost well, all of well, how much do you value your life, right? So there you go. <laughs> and it is a vital form of therapy. It doesn't work in everybody. I have a list of things, and you really, the things that are on there are more for helping doctors treat people. There are ways of making it work better, combining it with this nutrient alpha lipoic acid and quercetin and other things. I'm not going to worry people about all that, but it's, it's, it's such a beautiful form of therapy because it selectively concentrates and becomes, and and targets the abnormality of cancer cell metabolism so that it works as a, as a uh, um, cancer destructor while protecting your cells at the same time, which is unlike chemotherapy, which just destroys all cells, okay? <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, so on that order, I have found that um, high-dose high IV vitamin C, which I also combine with everything else, I know this is gonna sound like I'm a broken record, everybody, but Man, when you're dealing with something, especially as you're starting to get to stage three and four cancers, you better deal with, with more aggressive forms of therapy because it's a difficult thing to treat. And so um, so do I recommend, if you know a doctor does high dose IV vitamin C, talk to them about whether this is going to be useful or not. Um, and I do this for many types of cancer. I'm sure you're aware of that. But focusing on breast cancer, I have found that breast cancer usually responds to that is if you do the other treatments and you do um, all the other nutrients we do to make it work better and 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 it's, I, I love high dose IV vitamin C and I kind of grew up with it and and so meaning there's it's it's my primary thing that I use if I'm being more aggressive if the person is choosing if they've already failed chemotherapy which is unfortunately where I see many of my patients say their their chemotherapy doctors given up on them and the the chemotherapy has kind of destroyed their body and then they come to me and they say well what else can you do? And, uh, you know, and remember how we said earlier, we wanted a really hardy person to try to work with this. And, and I'm already way behind the eight ball. So I, I really don't recommend people just waiting till everything else has failed and then seeing the doctor who does this because that's not the best way to treat with this stuff, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree. It's like if this happens, you're going to be dealing with the conventional stuff. Get yourself a integrative functional <laughs> doctor who understands integrative cancer therapies. Yeah, do everything you can. You can, exactly. And again, and, and guide yourself because, I, I, you know, it's, uh, I just saw a lady yesterday and she's one of my most dramatic successes in terms of pre treating breast cancer ever. Um, and she's still doing this infusion with an oncologist called Herceptin. And I just said, listen, I trust you so much. Uh, I don't think you need Herceptin anymore because she's had a widely metastatic breast cancer that's gone away and all the tumor markers and everything is better. But I said, trust yourself. You know, you, you know, 
the oncologist wants her to go on it maybe for life. And I said, listen, stay on it because I don't think you're quite ready to get off of it yet because you have an association that this is. But, and absolutely, her Herceptin was part of her cure, by the way. Okay, Herceptin was a drug that, again, is an IV infusion done every three weeks with the oncologist that is a targeted form of cure therapy. Okay. At the same time, she did her septum. She did not, the doc, she tried chemotherapy at first and it made her violently ill. She stopped that. She just did the Herceptin. This oncologist is a brilliant doctor who understands the patient's important and let her do things with me while she while she did the just the Herceptin only. Um, some doctors get offended at that, by the way. Um, but then the next thing, the most powerful thing, um, slide 68, and unfortunately there's a typo on there that I didn't see until this morning. Um, the website I want people to go to is a website called gcmaf.se. It says EU on the website, but it's .se, okay? They changed their website a few, couple of years ago, and I just haven't changed the slide, sorry. Um, but the GCMAF is another really breakthrough therapy that everybody should be aware of. Now, we're having some trouble because where it's produced in England, it's being suppressed and we're having trouble getting it in America. The reason it's being suppressed is Big Pharma has got a hold of it and they want to suppress it from being available to people because it's dramatically successful, saves lives and is relatively inexpensive to the drugs. It's basically uh, um, essentially competition for the pharmaceutical industry, so it's getting, um, it's getting suppressed and I'm hoping it will become available again come the beginning of the year because it's right now, uh, we can't get a hold of it. It's, it's one so, so you mean like I'd have to like fly England to do it kind of thing? They'd still, they're still going to be alerts trying to confiscate it if you tried to fly there and get it back. But What does it do? Well, GCMAP, and this is a very important thing, and I, this is going to get into my, um, you know, uh, my uh, doctor. Geekiness? Here. It's the intergranulocyte <laughs> colony macrophage activating factor. It is a protein that you inject that is, boosts your immune system function. On the website, they have cute little videos, and they have some things on its mechanism of action. Be very clear, people. They're also a commercial website, so they I, they tell you to do higher dosages of this than I think most people need. So I would talk, work with a doctor who's comfortable with using this. Um, but GCMAF, um, I've used extensively over the last few years, and it has really, uh, it is a, a, the best way to think of it. It has many mechanisms of action, by the way. The primary mechanism, what we, and I'll, I'll back up for just a second. What we do is we measure an enzyme called Nagalase. I do a blood test that costs 100 bucks. Um, uh, it's only done in Europe, looking for this enzyme found in, in basically anaerobic metabolism, meaning low oxygen metabolism. And it can, this enzyme can be up in chronic infections, by the way. But we use it as a marker of how aggressive the tumor is, especially with breast cancer. If this enzyme is elevated, called nagalase, it is basically inhibiting your immune system function. One of the protective mechanisms of cancer to overcome your immune system is essentially to stun it into silence. Something on the order of 50% of solid tumors are macrophages and other cells helping the tumor grow. Essentially the cancer duping you into attacking yourself. Okay. And all we have to do is wake those cells up and we can get the cancer, your immune system to eliminate the cancer. The best thing ever seen so far to date is GCMAF, okay? Uh, and um, a doctor who's used to it will measure this naglase, and especially if it's elevated, will prescribe this to you. And I have seen so many dramatic, dramatic responses to GCMAF in terms of breast cancer. It can work for any cancer. I'm gonna have to give you my opinion. I think it works better for breast cancer than most of the other cancers. Um, and it's an injection you give yourself usually twice a week. 
Okay. Um, be very clear. It's an expensive form of therapy. When we can get it, it's usually about $550 a vial. It changes based on the euro and all that stuff, you know, you know, free market stuff. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and, and, uh, and, uh, you get about seven injections out of a vial. So if you're doing it twice a week, it's a little less than a month. So this is a very expensive form of therapy, but it's so good for getting your immune system. And the other part of this, you have to correct vitamin D everybody. Um, um, vitamin D is necessary for this macrophage activating factor to work, and it is profoundly beneficial in most cancers. Um, my experience is especially true in breast cancer. Um, I have one reference that I, I, I put up on the uh, website. This is slide 69 of 75, by the way. <clears throat> the form I use is called Golaic. It's just the GC math glommed onto an oleic acid just to help with its cellular penetration. And so on that or what i would tell you is that um it's a wonderful form of therapy and one of the things almost everybody should be on here's one controversy for you the gc map people will tell you that all forms of chemotherapy and have a whole list of things on there that they tell you will counteract gc map including naltrexone by the way and that's been unequivocally proven not to be true okay so um there are some things on the website that aren't true um and so but that's okay you know i'm, I'm really there is some good information there about the basic mechanisms of its action and through the website is where most of my patients try to buy the gc map i'm fortunate i have one patient of mine who's been buying most of it and distributing it to my patients uh, just because she buys it in huge volumes and things and I think she gets a break or something and so uh, but she's she's just she's one of those people who had such a great response that she just wanted to help other people but you can buy it directly through that website that I just referenced you to but helping with your immune system function is such an important thing and you know even, and I think you know this, um, there's so many other things that, that you can talk to about with your doctors, but um, if you just look at that, you know, correcting vitamin D, it was really funny, the, the, the last slide that I have here, I think it's like slide 73, excuse me, um, it has a little slide on, and you, most of you won't understand that, but um, it's, it's basically the difference between if you incubate a cell with corn oil versus omega-3 oils and the growth rate of the tumor, as, and, and it documents that, it, that omega-3 fatty acids are almost as tumor suppressive as chemotherapy, whereas standard oils are actually dramatic tumor promoters and so um and it shows them right so everybody get rid of the crappy oils go to mark's daily apple search primal blueprint shopping list look at the list of foods if you're hearing this for the first time and you're not paleo primal get rid of the crappy oils crappy immediately oils are death to the body and i think we already know that and that's its own discussion now but you know sometimes we forget that we're so caught up in the fancier supplements that the person isn't taking their omega-3s which is one of the primary ways of improving the the cell membrane fluidity so everything can get into there you know and so and if that's the primary and that's an anti-inflammatory etc cetera, etc cetera, so um we forget these simple things like taking enough d and taking enough fish oils and that kind of stuff um and so and that makes these kinds of therapies work better and and even if our, our audience today just said, wow, I really should look at this high-dose IV vitamin C, I should look at naltrexones and melatonins, or you're doing a great service to yourself in terms of going down the pathway. I have about 100 other, I shouldn't say that, I have tens and tens of other supplements I use with people with breast cancer, by the way. Um, it's oh, I'm sure. Yeah. More than I think we should probably get into today. But, um, but just, Well, you know... It I, I, yeah, and obviously we'll put all these links into the show notes as well, but middlepathmedicine.com and, and you've already mentioned some of these websites. Um, maybe to close it out, I would love you to 
touch on, uh, we had a discussion recently when I visited you about a patient you had and her mental outlook towards cancer and how she was, it was true faith, right? She was like, I'm already healed, even though she clearly wasn't on paper. And, you know, the mind-body thing is so important, and I know that you are very much into that. And when we talk about the stress and all of that, you know, people give lip service to like, yeah, you should meditate or you should think positively. But, you know, there are so many stories of people even having breast cancer who, like, watched comedy for three months and it went away. I mean, you know, it's like you've got to filter everything out, right? And or, or, Or really be careful of what you are filtering into your life. And if that means not having stressful discussions with your, you know, drunken cousin who keeps calling, right? You know, so if you could just touch on that a little bit and and what you might recommend people, I always recommend like Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life, anything from Louise Hay or um, hayhouse.com, which is, you know, some great healing modalities and wonderful, you know, healing audiobooks. What are some suggestions and some ways that, because you've had some experience with some really interesting patients. Um, the key in this is what kind of what you're talking about, which is the, the and let's stick with women for right now. Of course, this is going to be true for guys, but we're talking about breast cancer, which is 99% um, women. Guys can get it too. Of course, we talked about certain toxins in the environment can even lead to breast cancer in guys, but let's focus on our primary audience, which is women. And of course, guys, you need to know this too, because you being in support of the women doing these things is such an important part. You are a part of the team. And so um, having some understanding of this, because this is, and I promise I'm going to answer your question. This is such an important part of what you just talked about, because many times the classic model is the woman is more interested in the holistic side of healing, but the guy is, you're going to do chemotherapy. And, and he's doing it in a loving way because he doesn't want his wife to die, but or his girlfriend or whatever, but he's being kind of very left-brained and antagonistic about all these other things because he doesn't understand them. So many guys are not very good at understanding some of these this side of things, which is there is... And we've talked about it. It's, you know, the, the whole model that we use, the good, the true, and the beautiful. You have to explore all spheres of knowingness when you're healing yourself. And so the lady we were talking about, she has a lady who does, um, uh, you know, healing, uh, does Reiki and craniosacral work with her. Those are forms of energy therapies. Um, anything that would be energy balancing to you. And explore that world in terms of and, and being experiential. And so, and getting, especially true for women, you guys, going and allowing yourself to get massage is sometimes enough and just taking the time out for yourselves and out of your schedules so that you do these kinds of forms of healing the the um references i have i usually start with the stress management things because most women are at in today's world that i experience with breast cancer are somewhat overwhelmed okay overwhelmed with life in general let alone them adding breast cancer on top of it so the first step is taking the time out of your life, the, uh, getting rid of other things. We all have stresses we can't get rid of, and then exploring what is healing to you. And each woman, usually, at mo- this is especially true for women, at, whether it's exploring poetry, whether it's, like you said, exploring comedy, they'll just know there's something they need more of, more music, more whatever. It doesn't have to be energy-based medicine, which, of course, I'm a big fan of. And so It could be a sit- sitting by the beach and just taking that in for 20 minutes, right? And become your own best healer because you follow your own you know, instincts whether that's reading poetry, it's gonna be something beautiful though, okay? So it's something you do in your day in and day of life. It's fine to have healers who work with you, whether those are acupuncturists, Reiki practitioners, all the rest of those things. Um, 
it, it is once you start going down that pathway. So I'll just give you an example recently where, you know, I had a patient and she's, she has a fairly significant cancer, but I tell her things like we just talked about. And then she goes to her other chiropractor who muscle tests everything. And then that says, oh, it's not testing. Your muscle testing isn't happening for it. And all the things that can save this woman. And I can predict fairly accurately she's not going to be with us for long because she listened to her muscle tester. Um, and so um, and because I see that all the time is that. When people go down the field of energy medicine, they often go down the roads where people who don't know what they're doing tell them not to do what I tell them because I'm the mean old MD, um, and you know, and they do, they have they have such a strong belief. Most of the people who do that kind of stuff have such a strong belief against Western approaches that when it doesn't test positive, I'm sure it's they're testing their own negativity, you know, um, not the person's response. I'm not against. Interesting, right? There's another level of energy in that testing. Yeah, I'm not against it for everybody. I'm just going to tell you when you're in this phase of things, um, it's good to have, you know, do something more than just that as a way of healing. But because I've seen also when people start following this pathway, taking themselves away from healing responses because they're listening to other people, not themselves. Okay. And so, um, so on that order, I'm not, and I'm not trying to scare everybody out there, but just follow yourself. And honestly, what El was saying, you can get as much healing out of comedy as you can out of Reiki. Okay. I like them all. Um, and so, and yes, this is you exploring yourself as a healer. This is especially true for women because the holistic healing uses the left and the right brain. Okay. And so that's why we're talking about holistic intelligence is extraordinarily better than just standard left brained intelligence. And so what we talked about mainly today was more the left brain stuff, right? You know, where there's studies and all these things and, you know, I dig that stuff. Um, but what you're talking about, which is so important is making sure women and men, of course, explore all forms of healing because what we're doing right now with just standard drugs and things isn't working. We have to look at the core of why we develop cancer. We have to change our nutrition. We have to change our energy balancing. We have to look at our relationships, our jobs, everything, because when you have an imbalance as significant as a cancer, it is a wake up call, you know? Um, and so at exploring, you know, there's, as you know, there's so many things out in the world about any of the things we just talked about from acupuncture to Reiki, et cetera. They all make it sound like the greatest thing in the world. What I tell you is have develop an interest and let your body be, let you be the own best healer. And if you want help with energy balancing, there's so many good people out there. I love Reiki, by the way. I'm not trying to tell you different. Um, and I love acupuncture. I love chiropractic too, by the way, just in terms of helping with the body and the imbalances. But the key is that be your own best healer. Have some people who guide you that you trust. Okay, take up yoga. Yoga. I've had as many people get benefits from going to more yoga as they've done from other energy practitioners. Are really well. It's a combination of a little bit of exercise. It's also a combination of you know stress relieving and a little bit meditative. So I can see that being great. I also just want to point out, you know, Louise Hay back in the day who noticed some common themes associated with diseases, you know, like for thyroid, she mentions that the common theme was often people were not either expressing themselves creatively or felt like they were in a situation where they couldn't speak up, like choked up in the throat. And for breast cancer, I believe she talks about how the common theme was her for sort of 
women who felt like the weight of the world on their shoulders. Maybe they're taking care of the whole family or they've got all these responsibilities, just that weight on your shoulders type of thing, right? So, which is already a stress to begin with. So you've got to really kind of clean out these areas. And same with hypothyroidism that we suggest in the book I do with people. You know, when your adrenals are, are crap and you're hating it and you have no energy, you're going to have to ask for help. You know, you might need to then get the family involved, give up some chores, right? And you might have to delegate and release control on some of those things so you can spend that extra time to do the Reiki or the meditation. And so I agree. And that's that's why, you know, because... You know, in my stress management series, you know, there I talk about the three basic me- mechanisms of dealing with stress. Stress unloading, stress relieving, which is exercise, and stress reduction, which is meditation. And for almost every woman, it's not about adding things to their schedule. They're already overloaded. Telling them to meditate too much time, telling them to exercise too much time, they need to unload stress first. Now, if that's not true for you, I'm just talking about in general, everybody. And so that's the first step is to get rid of extraneous things. Stop trying to care for the whole world you need to this is a classic power technique It's above no one beneath no one and so so make sure you understand you're beneath no one most of the time with guys you need to teach them you know they're not above anyone either so it's a different attack tends to be a different problem and so um so but the key of that statement above no one beneath no one immune to criticism there's so many parts to these power techniques we want women to regain their authentic power as has been pointed out so many times in the world uh you know i saw this beautiful video of madonna one of her word speeches about you know how difficult it is to be a woman in today's world and what she went through and 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 it, it, i do consider that to be a large part because Breast, when it comes to um, maternal instincts, sexuality, there's so much imagery that goes with breasts. I know we talked about this in other ones, but other uh, talks, but it's it, it really is, I think there's so much emotion and energy behind most breast cancers. And many women are being forced into believing that there's nothing but, you know, chemotherapy and it's, you know, and because, the, the like we said earlier, if you take responsibility to look at these things, in some ways you could end up blaming yourself if you have an unhealthy relationship or blaming yourself if you have too much stress. And that's the last thing we want. We want you say, wow, I probably have too much stress. I guess I should change that and not blame yourself at all and say, gosh, I should take care of these things. And so, um, and, and look at it from a, you know, again, looking forward, not looking backward standpoint, you know, of course be present moment, but you know, in that, in our steps. And so, and that's such a key thing as part of this is that I have had um, breast cancer diagnosis become the best thing that has ever happened to, to many, many women, whether it's getting rid of the deadbeat, you know, alcoholic husband to changing a job or everything else. And, and there's no doubt that that symptom, we're going to call the cancer symptom, was the best teacher that person had ever had. And of course, I've had many, many cases where it was a, a progressively fatal thing. And I just think it was that person's time to go. Because no, do we always cure everybody with any form of cancer? And the answer is no, Elle. I mean, um, you know, that's, that's an important thing for everybody understand we do the best we can but it can and that's why it's so important to do that original diagnosis thing we said at the beginning of this talk um get an idea of what we're dealing with because some breast cancers remember i always talked about the previous thing stage zero which doesn't isn't even cancer and the early stages of stage one women who have those cancer those quote-unquote cancers actually live longer than women who don't have those cancers Right. We talked about that in breast health too, for anyone interested in the details behind that one. Yeah. So remember that, you know, there's so much in terms of how aggressive to be based upon getting some good data. Uh, And so, uh, you know, so that's an important part of this as well too, without being overwhelmed. And really uh, please everybody, if there's a take home message, 
work with somebody, you know, your primary care doctor in general doesn't know how to help you with cancer. Um, please don't just go online and second and think you can learn everything online. I still, even this last week, I can get four or five cases of people, usually guys, um, who think they can outsmart me because they went online and they, and they <laughs> did their own doctoring, did their own diagnoses. <laughs> And, and I do get, I use that mechanic example a lot. It'd be like me trying to go online and try to think I'm a better mechanic than somebody who's a mechanic. And so um, for some reason, people think they can figure this stuff out on the internet and they really can't. You need somebody who can help you with this because there's too many people trying to sell you too many things, you know? Uh, and so, and it becomes very difficult. Uh, and like I told you, there's tens of options. So we usually see the person, um, we have a tumor marker or the nagalase, which remember this is a blood test that we we do and we do a set of therapies and then we evaluate it about three months are we is what we're doing working based on the objective response um, we follow up scans if necessary but more often than not we try to use blood tests um, we you know so we we and if something's not working we change it you know and so uh, but more often than not and that's the other thing for people is that get help with somebody who knows what they're doing okay remember we, we referenced the worldhealth.net and the integrative cancer therapy doctors there's other doctors as well. Um, and then remember, for many people, if we can just turn cancer into a chronic disease, I know that because we, you know, we talk about curing all the time, which is, of course, our goal. OK, um, but the, I tell you, more importantly, um, is that we can turn this into something that just doesn't spread. And even if there, we don't get complete elimination, you can live the rest of your life with this. And like we do with high blood pressure, like we do with diabetes sometimes and all these other conditions. So. That is oftentimes what we're talking about is finding a form of therapy that works that we can keep you on um, and and you can be healthier than you ever been, even if you have some residual cancer. I love it. Well, we will put all of these links in the show notes, but middlepathmedicine.com and they have got the presentation, the, the 75 slides we just spoke about and all of the links to the references like no, low-dose naltrexone, et cetera, I will put in the show notes. Thank you so much for doing this three-parter with us. And again, this is part three. Uh, we've had two other podcasts as well. You can go and search those. Um, anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, you guys should just like do a marathon of these things, you know, because, you know, who wouldn't want, you know, four and a half hours of my voice yammering at you? Um. <laughs> we could do part seven of the breast. There's just so much detail there. But again, quite overwhelming. And I just wanted to get people really into the space of seeking out another partner along the Western medicine route with this. And that's you. That's someone and you like really you. And you have to binge list and you really don't. Um, <laughs> they are all good in terms of, because, you know, the earlier things are more about prevention is always going to be the best cure, right? You know, and so that's why I want people to focus more on the other things. We all know, almost all know women with breast cancer. So um, treatment's important too, but the prevention stuff I think is even more important, obviously. And so that's why I would focus on the earlier ones if you hadn't heard them uh, earlier talks, because there is good information and it's just a start of the conversation. Um, so, um, and then most importantly, remember the entire driving purpose of all this is to be happy. So um, that, that, and listening to these things, am I going to find things that help me build happiness and that will be my ultimate cure. I love it. That's so true. That's so true, the attitude and the outlook. So, well, for everyone out there suffering, we wish you the best. And for everyone out there wanting to prevent, go check out our, the other parts of this podcast and um, do everything you can to 
get healthy and whole. Thank you so much for joining us again. We'll no doubt be back. We're going to do some other podcasts and we'll do one on men's health and some other subjects. And if anyone out there um, wants to reach out to me, lrust.com, and you can also buy our book, The Paleothyroid Solution with Dr. Gary Forsman on amazon.com or or elsewhere. And um, thanks so much. Have a great day and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks everybody. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.